Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I was doing on the Monday after the NFL weekend. So looking at today, I mean, I would even say that every single NFL Sunday is good. Every NFL Sunday is good, but rare is the NFL Sunday that is that good. Because the only game yesterday that was never a one-score game at any point in the fourth quarter was the very last game of the day. And the last game of the day is where I want to start because of two dudes. Two dudes. Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. And my man, Andrew Ryad, a.k.a. Andrew Reed, the GOAT, may have been on the field last night in Tampa looking like an emaciated Kevin Bacon. But the two alphas in the stadium last night were the dude going David Blaine on the field and the dude calling all the tricks from the sideline. I mean, there's never been a combination quite like Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes? And that combination just keeps creating literal magic. And no matter how many times we see it, watching Mahomes do bleep like he did last night never, ever gets old especially since the big head, James Kelly, and I both hammered the Chiefs on last week's ep of Jim Rome's big head bets. Watch this. He's going to swat right at it, pull it down, go into the ground, flip a wobbler out there for a first down. Well, of course he did. It's Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) What a play. I mean, I would say that play was the wildest play of the day. Or at least it was for like a half hour. Because then this happened. From the two, Mahomes escaping. On the move, Mahomes stops, spins, flips it forward for the touchdown to Edwards Hilaire. Mahomes straddled the line of scrimmage. Flipped it to Edwards Hilaire for the score. (laughs) Stop it. You're not allowed to play football at this level and toy with the guys on the other team. He looks like the dad playing in the backyard with all the kids, and they can't get him on the ground. Watch this. And now he's going to find the receiver stop and the little push pad. Stop it. Stop it. It's like Mahomes doesn't just turn pro football games into backyard trick shows. He turns broadcasters into Valley Girls. Stop Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Like, he doesn't just look like a dad playing in the park with kids. He looks like Godzilla stomping around the stadium. And this is a Bucks defense that is no joke. They'd allowed only 25 points in their first three weeks. And then Mahomes puts up 28 on them before halftime last night. In other words, the defense was no joke. <laughs> until Mahomes went in there and clowned the hell out of them. Nobody put it better than Travis Kelsey after the game because nobody ever puts it better than Travis Kelsey when it comes to, wait for it, Mahomes? Mahomes? The NFL hasn't seen anything like Pat Mahomes, I promise you that. And you saw it today. He's the Houdini of our era, man. The guy just finds ways to make plays throughout the game. I mean, big-time third downs, big-time goal line plays, um, just willing our team into the end zone, willing, willing our team to win, and that's our ultimate leader, man. You know, you hear the Houdini comparisons. I'm sure Houdini was cool and all. I'm sure that guy was great and all. But I'd love to see that little dude escape an NFL pocket or escape his way to a Super Bowl ring 
or an NFL MVP. Hey, one more thought about Jim Rome's big head bets. We had a big weekend now. Big head especially. And and we have tonight's play. It is not too late to download the app. If I'm not mistaken, the head went 4-1-1. One, and one. And if you've got any hate for that, you just do not understand how good that is and how hard that is. So he's on one. The big head is on one. We still have tonight's play. Download the app. Look for it. Jim Rome's Big Head Bets. Wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you get it. So last night, that was a huge win for the Chiefs. But Kansas City was not the only powerhouse looking like a powerhouse yesterday. Yo, Mafia, you know you're next up. Now, it didn't start off like that, did it? In fact, it started off horribly. They were down 20-3 to in a messy, rainy slop, and they were playing like it. And they come all the way back, and they find a way to get it done. And that was not just a win, but they needed a win like that. They needed to win a game like that. And the dude who pushed Buffalo over the edge yesterday should not surprise anybody at all. He's a captain. He's a leader. He's a rock for this team. He's the guy they turn to when they need a spark. Of course, I'm talking about my dude, Jordan Poyer. He didn't just have two fourth-quarter picks. To give him four in three starts this year, he made the biggest play of the game on the biggest play of the game. Here we go. Fourth and goal from the two. Jackson going to throw. Takes a look. Pocket collapsing. Drops back. Throws it towards the end zone. It is intercepted in the end zone. Picked off in the end zone. Jordan Poyer stepped in front of that pass. Picked off in the end zone by the Bills veteran safety, Jordan Poyer. How about that one? That is enormous. It's enormous for two reasons. One, you get the ball back. And two, because you intercepted that ball, you're not getting the ball on your own two-yard line. Now you're going to get it at the 20-yard line. Bills radio with that call. You know, the big controversy in Baltimore this morning, yesterday and this morning, was, you know, what are you doing? Why not take three? Why not kick it right there? To me, it's neither here nor there. To me, it's not that big a controversy at all. Because what happened next was inevitable. The reason it's not a controversy to me is because Josh Allen was going to finish that game regardless. Josh Allen. They were not going to lose yet another one-score game. If he needed three, he was going to get you three. If he needed seven, he was going to get you seven. He was not going to let them lose after that big stop defensively. And that's exactly what happened. That sends Buffalo to 3-1, and one, which to me is really important. That's a really big win for them. 3-1 and one is a hell of a lot better than 2-2 two and two for the team that everybody had already handed the Lombardi to after week two. And the Bills got a spark from one of their most reliable players. In fact, players, plural. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, needed a spark but turned to a dude who had never taken an NFL snap. And they needed that spark in a home game against the Jets. Remember that whole definitively no thing? Definitively no. That Mike Tomlin kept insisting on like 10 days ago when asked about a potential quarterback switch? He claimed that he was definitively not thinking about a quarterback change. Definitively no. And then at that time, I said that was either definitively bullcrap or definitively insane, or both. And frankly, I was right, because frankly, I usually am. But as soon as things got weird against the Jets, 
Of course Tomlin went right to Kenny Pickett. Cue the tiny hands alarm, Albie. Tiny hands. Tiny hands. Tiny hands. Yes, because everybody made such an enormous deal of that before the draft. We actually do have an alarm for it. Listen, my man was not that bad. And he did give them a spark. Now, if you look at the stat sheet, it doesn't look good. The stat sheet would suggest that he's Chad Henning. But it wasn't that bad. I mean, nobody wants to throw three picks in their debut, just like nobody wants to lose to the freaking Jets at home in their first NFL game, especially if you're the Steelers. But this loss is not on Kenny. I'm looking at the head coach. The head coach who had 10 days to make the most obvious switch ever, but didn't. And then turned around and flip-flop in a panic at halftime. And only then threw in the rook to try to save the day against the J-E-T-S. And damn near did. But didn't. So disgraceful enough. And then somehow it got even worse after the game when Deontay Johnson got a little too honest with it. I mean, obviously it's a rebuilding year. I'm not going to use that as an excuse. Uh, it don't matter who's that quarterback or whoever's in at any position. It's our job to get it done and uh, win games for the Steelers. For us in general, so that's what we got to do, win. That's all I'm focused on is winning. Whenever somebody says, I'm not going to use it as an excuse, they're going to use it as an excuse. I'm sure a Steeler fan was very happy to hear the rebuild is on four weeks in. The Steelers uttering the words, quote, rebuilding year was something I, you know, I thought I'd never hear. I mean, I guess they're not really any different than anybody else, except you don't expect to hear that. Not from them. But basically waving the white flag on the season. Think about that. Waving the white flag on the season after blowing a double-digit fourth-quarter lead to the Jets at home has got to be one of the all-time lows for that franchise. Honestly. So I've got a quick question for you. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. I said it. 48 hours. It's incredible. And on top of that, Dove Men Dry Spray feels light, and it's clean on your skin, and it's quick, and it's easy to use, especially when you are on the go. And Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. You know you got to have that. You have to moisturize. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin as well. Truly, take advantage of that. You've got to moisturize. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. But we know better than to say something like that around Bob Sala. Because we know he's keeping every single receipt from this business trip. He's not even going to file an expense report. He doesn't want reimbursement. He doesn't need it. He knows the receipts from that trip are priceless. Taking receipts. He's not turning that in for cash. My man's going to frame them and put them up on the wall. Meantime, the dudes playing defense for the Seahawks and Lions, on the other hand, are all going to want to destroy 
any evidence that that game even happened yesterday because the highest scoring game of the NFL this season was an all-time low point for defensive football. The only thing that stopped any player offensively in that game was the great equalizer itself. Yes, clones, I will go there. I will give you what you want. I will feed you. Seahawks fans got a little freaked out when DK Metcalf got carted off the field early in the fourth quarter. Like, what's going on here? What happened? No! What's going on with DK? Let's go to the sideline and find out. He seems superhuman on the football field, right? But we're all human. It's just a restroom break. No worries, DK. We'll be returning to the game shortly. Uh, all right, breaking news. I'm sorry. To, I didn't mean to embarrass anybody. I, I, I was going to say, I guess the cart gets you quicker. When you, and when you got to go, you, you got to go. Yeah, no sense using your own legs when you have carts as well. All right, take a break, man. What have I always told you? That right there is a perfect illustration of my point that I made decades ago on this very show that I try to pretend like I didn't make, but I knew what I was talking about then, just as I do right now. My point about the so-called, quote, great equalizer. is the great equalizer. Yes, I said it. And it sure looks like DK... While he may look like, quote, a superhuman on the football field, when the great equalizer calls, Diarrhea doesn't care who the hell you are. even if you're DK Metcalf, that was me 20 years ago on this show. And I'll say it again right now in 2022. Diarrhea doesn't care who the hell you are. And when the great equalizer calls, he or it is on the exact same plane as everybody else. When it comes to the great equalizer, no one is better, no one is stronger, no one is richer, no one is anything. You know the saying, nothing is bigger than the game? Wrong. Diarrhea is bigger than the game. It's bigger than life. And I don't care who you are, how powerful you are, the strongest person in the world is no stronger than the weakest person in the world if the strongest person in the world has the Rhea. And DK did. And if that was one of the great sideline reports ever, this has to be one of the best post-game tweets ever. And I quote from DK himself, quote, that clinch walk wouldn't have made it. End of quote. Strong, man. I respect the candor because that clinch walk would not have made it. How do I know? Because we all know. We've all been there. Literally all of us. And now DK has too. Not that I need to do this, but the list of undefeateds in the history of the world are, in no particular order, sex, father time, and diarrhea. Slot them any way you want. Just know, every last one of them is undefeated, untied, and has never, ever once even trailed in a game and never will. Ever. I have a question. As long as I've gone there, as long as we're now in the mud. It's kind of confusing, Alan, for you to keep running that. Thank you. Yeah, you saw what I did there, right? 
As long as we're in the mud. Hey, man, I came up out of the mud. I came up out of the mud of the 818 San Fernando Valley. I'm straight up out of the mud. And so is DK, apparently. Anyway, we, we have a blue tent on the field. If it's inevitable, and it's inevitable. the great equalizer, and the NFL really is serious about making the game safer, why don't we just have a brown tent? You pop that bad boy up. Can you imagine getting that sideline reporting gig? That's a great gig. There aren't very many of those. You know, you work, you work, you work, you work. Get the call from the network. Hey, guess what? You're our new sideline reporter. Oh, hell yeah. You go over there and stand by that brown tent. You're out there doing your report, holding your breath. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Back, back, back up to you in the uh, broadcast booth, DK. Uh, we'll update you on DK when we know more. Yeah, Jim. Uh, DK is still in the brown tent, maybe a little bit longer. It wouldn't be great if we all had access to carts for that moment. I mean, who wouldn't kill for one of those flat escalators or fast-moving walkways like they have at airports when we have to take that clinch walk? I'd call it the clinch walk of shame, but there is no shame in it because it's undefeated. And I saw a couple of idiots on the people mover at the airports this weekend. Hey, I love y'all who just stand there. Just stand there. Yeah, uh, that, that escalator, that flat escalator, that people mover is there for a reason. I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm just going to stand here and let it move me from point A to point B. Anyway, the only thing more unstoppable than the great equalizer was one Geno Smith. Geno Smith, 320 yards passing, three touchdowns, two passing and a rushing TD, and 49 yards on the ground overall. Hey, media, maybe you should not have written him off because he's not writing back. They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. I hear you. I hear you, G. Got that, clowns? Remember when they wrote off diarrhea as well? Yeah, well, the D didn't write back either. They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. Diarrhea is the great evil. There, clones, I did your work for you. You know, the only reason I did that was not because I want to be sophomoric. I just know that you're coming with it anyway. So if it's going to be a thing, you might as well have me do it because I'll do it better than you. With Alvi's help. And the immortal sound of me 20 years ago. Diarrhea is the great equalizer. You want to go in the Radio Hall of Fame? Come up with takes like that. That's how you get in. You diarrhea your way in. Okay. Hey, Jim Rome here. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you will ever own. You can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. No joke. Try a pizza on the egg. It is incredible. Stop wasting money on grills that you replace every few years. We've all been there and done that. 
Forget the pellets and the knockoffs, too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg, a ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It is simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source. There's no need to plug it in. With the playoffs and holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. You heard me. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com and have it sent to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com, and you will thank me later. He is Andy Staples. Andy, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you doing? Good, dude. Good, good. So I was talking about this momentarily or a few moments ago, but I was in Madison. I saw that beatdown that the Illini laid on the Badgers, and it was bad, really, really bad. It was pretty clear that Paul Christ was in trouble. I thought big trouble walking out of that stadium, but I thought that he would survive the weekend at least. What is your reaction to Wisconsin moving as quickly as they did to fire him? At first, it seems like a very anti-Wisconsin thing to do. They've always been a very deliberate athletic department. Uh, haven't done anything rash, but when you when you kind of game it out, it makes a lot more sense. So Jim Leonard is the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, uh, longtime NFL safety, obviously played for the Badgers, and he was kind of viewed as the the heir apparent. Uh, he was there was no coaching waiting agreement or anything like that, but the thought was that whenever Paul Chris was done, he would hand it off to Jim Leonard. And I think why they did this now instead of waiting till the end of the season or see if it got any worse is to give Jim Leonard seven games to show that he's the guy to lead the program moving forward. Because there, there are some options out there, and, and one especially is Lance Leipold, the, the coach at Kansas, who went to Wisconsin-Whitewater, led Wisconsin-Whitewater to multiple Division three national titles, so understands the state very well. So this gives Jim Leonard a chance to say, hey, look, I can, I can make this right. I can continue doing what – we do at Wisconsin, you know, from Barry Alvarez on down. Because the thing Wisconsin has that, that a lot of programs that are firing their coaches these days wish they had is a defined identity. They know what they are. They know who they are. And I think that they feel like if they can give Jim Leonard a chance, then he can show he can continue that and get it back to, to where it was a few years ago. You know, you just answered a number of my follows up or follow-ups, too. I was going to say, how good of a job is that right now? How attractive is that you answer that? I agree with you. I, I think Jim Leonard is the guy. I think if you give him that kind of opportunity, he'll take advantage of it. I think ultimately he is it. I think they have other good, uh, other good candidates as well. Let me move on to something really quickly. Andy Staples, my guest. When Lincoln Riley bolted for USC and Oklahoma brought in Brent Venables, obviously the assumption, Andy, was he would shore up that porous defense, but quite the opposite has happened. What is your reaction to what you've seen from the Sooners thus far? And more importantly, what is your explanation for it? I don't know what the explanation is. I'm shocked at how bad they are on defense. I mean, if you watch a TCU game, there were situations where you had a safety passing off a receiver to the next zone when there was no next zone, there was no person behind him to pick, pick that receiver up. Like once in a season type bus, they had a couple of those. Uh, they, they crash way too hard on those read options when the, the quarterback puts the ball in the back's belly, but has the option to keep it still. Uh, they, they make it very obvious to Oklahoma defenders where they're going and allows the quarterback to make a pretty easy decision. These are things that Brent Venables and, and his defensive coordinator, Ted Roof, can teach. These, these are not things that you can say, well, Lincoln Riley and Alex Wrench, the former defensive coordinator, 
they just left us. They didn't leave us any talent. No, no, no. You can teach players to do that and not mess that up. So that's on Brent Venables. Now, are they a defense full of future NFL players that should absolutely dominate? No, not right now. That's his job to recruit to. But they can get the little stuff right, and they would have a chance to win games like the one they were in Saturday. They got smoked by TCU. Uh, They're going to play a Texas team that right now has some really good offensive skill talent. Quinn Ewers might be back at quarterback. That's going to be a tough game. Jim, Oklahoma might not be favored against Kansas in a couple weeks. Isn't that incredible? That, that is incredible. Andy Staples is joining us. It's incredible, but understandable. So let me jump ahead. Kansas is a revelation. They're 5-0, and and they're a damn good football team. We know this. And you mentioned Lance Leipold. In fact, he's working a miracle there to me, Andy. Where does that leave him? For instance, if Nebraska, and you mentioned Wisconsin, but if Nebraska comes hard for him, and they should, where does that leave him? What do you think he Wealthy. does with that? Wealthy. He's... He, he's getting a uh, he's getting a beach house near you. That's 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 what he's doing. He is uh, he's going to be doing all right no matter what. Whether he wants to stay at Kansas and they give him a big raise, whether it's Nebraska. I mean, shoot, if I'm Arizona State, I call him. If I'm Georgia Tech, I call him. If I'm Auburn and and I, my job opens, which I think will happen pretty soon, I call him too. Like, if you can do that at Kansas, because everybody knows what a mess Kansas was when Les Miles got fired. And it wasn't even a normal firing. That was an after-spring practice. Like, it, was, it was crazy. And he's come in and in a year and a half, essentially, turned it around completely. Like, they're not just okay. They're good. And I, he's doing it a lot. When, you know, he got some players out of the transfer portal. Some guys followed him from Buffalo. But for the most part, it's with the guys he inherited. He's made them believe they could win when they were getting smashed. For years and years. It's masterful and it's miraculous. And they've got a really interesting matchup with TCU coming up. I'm going to try and get back to that. But, Andy, let me ask you about Georgia because they just did survive Missouri. And you brought this up on your podcast. So let me ask you right here on this show, are the Bulldogs mortal? I think this one is. This team would is. Last year's team, not so much. And I realize they lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game, but that's also – a, a different kind of animal. But this team, you watch Missouri gashing them in the ground game. Georgia has maybe as much talent as they had last year. It's just not as experienced. It's not as cohesive as it was. And here's the thing. It might be that by the end of this season, all of that stuff has gone away. And these guys are playing to their optimum potential. They look like they did against Oregon and they roll into the playoff, and maybe they win another national title. But right now, this very moment, they're not there yet. And so if I'm Tennessee, if I'm Kentucky, if I'm Florida, I'm looking at that and going, okay, maybe they're not invincible. Maybe we do have a chance. We're talking to Andy Staples for a few more moments. So, Andy, what about Bama? They jump over Georgia, and they move back to number one in the AP poll. The Tide lost Bryce Young in the second quarter, but they still beat up on a ranked Arkansas team by 23 what did you see from Jalen Milrow filling in for Young on Saturday? And if Young can't play this week against A&M because of a shoulder injury, can Milrow do enough to hold the offense together until he comes back? It looked like Jalen Milrow can, can run that offense just fine. It's a, it's a little bit different offense. It's, it's much more similar when Jalen Hurts was Alabama's starting quarterback. But the beauty of Alabama's offense that I've noticed not a lot of other teams have been able to pull this off 
is they just keep adding pieces to it instead of saying, well, this is what we do, and we don't do any of this other stuff. All of the stuff is in Alabama's offense. So, they, like, the offensive line, the backs, and the receivers know how to run everything. When Jalen Milrow comes in, they run a different set of plays than they would with Bryce Young in there, but they still know how to, how to do it all. And I think that's kind of the, a little bit of the Nick Saban magic, and Bill O'Brien obviously there's a lot, deserves a lot of credit for making sure that they're capable of running whatever they need to call. But I thought they didn't really miss a beat with Jalen Milrow in there. And uh, Nick Saban said he's, he doesn't think that the Bryce Young injury is that serious. But, you know, if he's got an AC joint issue with his throwing shoulder, you, it, it can mess you up. You don't, you don't really know how hard to throw the ball to get it to go to the, the amount of distance you want it to go. So th- that may be something they have to deal with this week. And I would feel pretty confident, though, given what we saw from Jalen Milrow against a pretty good Arkansas team, because, you know, the, the deal with Arkansas is their secondary is not that good. They can't cover that well. Jalen Miller ran all over them. So if he can run all over them, he can probably run all over just about anybody. So I, I, I'm pretty confident he'll be all right if, if they need to go with them. I was just going to agree with you. Andy Staples joins me for another moment or so. So, Andy, back to the Big Ten for a minute. you got Michigan, who's still number four in the polls, thanks to handling their business in Iowa on Saturday. It feels like it's going to come down to Ohio State and Michigan again to see who moves on to the Big Ten championship and then probably the college football playoff. How do Michigan and Ohio State compare based on the eyeball test after five games to you? What do you see when you look at the two of them? Well, I am very impressed with Michigan's offense with J.J. McCarthy running it. It feels more dynamic this year, and they needed that. They, they needed probably the offense to carry a little more of the weight when you don't have Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. Now, I do think the guys they have on that defensive line are doing a very good job, but are they going to be as dominant as they were, especially against Ohio State, where they, they were terrorizing C.J. Stroud last year? I think they're going to have to score more to have a chance against Ohio State. Well, guess what? they got an offense that can score more now. That is a fun offense to watch with, with McCarthy running it, with Blake Corum running the ball, uh, with Ronnie Bell catching it. I, I've, it's been a while since I've enjoyed watching Michigan play offense, but this year I absolutely have. How about one bonus stop before you go? Lincoln Riley still has not lost since he left Oklahoma for USC. We know, Andy, when we think about the Trojans, we know they're going to put points up, but you wonder about that defense and just how good it is. Is it good enough for them to be a legitimate contender for the college football playoff? I'm getting at how much are we going to learn about the Trojan D this week against a solid Washington State offense? I think we're going to learn a lot more. And, and can they keep the turnover differential up? But they did actually turn the ball over once against against Arizona State, which they USC had not turned the ball over at all, and the defense was creating turnovers at a, at a crazy rate. So the question is, when that turnover margin comes back down, you know, kind of regresses to the mean, how dominant does USC look then? And I think that's that that will be the interesting thing, because I, I think there are going to be some offenses in the Pac-12 that can score on them, but if they remain opportunistic and they keep having you know a couple turnovers that they force every game. They're going to be really tough to beat. That's how you do it. Covered so much ground. Andy Staples covering college football for The Athletic. He is host of The Andy Staples Show, also author of a great book, Getting to Neutral, How to Conquer Negativity and Thrive in a Chaotic World. Andy, really appreciate you. Great job, as always. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jim. Did you know that a fire department responds to a fire every 23 seconds? Well, October is Fire Prevention Month. And given that that is right around the corner, we have once again teamed up with First Alert. 
the most trusted brand in fire safety to help protect your whole home with safety that you know you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. And having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the very best things that you can do for your home and your family. What you want to do is install alarms on every single level and in every bedroom of your home. Now, once those alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. And remember, the alarms do not last forever, and they do need to be replaced at least every 10 years. After all, they are on duty 24-7. If you can't remember the last time that you replaced your alarm, it is best to replace the unit completely. My replacement option, First Alert's 10-year sealed battery alarms. 10-year sealed battery alarms are convenient, and they eliminate the need for a battery replacement for an entire decade. For more information on fire safety products safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at your home with your family, visit firstalert.com slash fire prevention month. All right, so really quickly, let me finish the thought. As I mentioned, I was not here Thursday or Friday of last week because, as many of you know, I spent the last few summers in Eagle River in the Northwoods of Wisconsin where we have a house. Now, generally, I do not spend a lot of other time in Wisconsin other than that. I take that month in the middle of summer. I break it up two weeks here, two weeks there, and that's what we do. Even though Dodger Jano and I have a son, Jake, who attends the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and then all of a sudden you look up one day and you think, holy crap, the kid is a senior. How did that happen? We were checking. Yeah, thanks, Albie. We were just checking this kid in to the dorms five minutes ago. As always, thank you, Alvin. You'll find out, Alvin, when your 14 kids get to college, you'll find out. And you'll really find out when you start getting the bills and you didn't take me up on my offer to put Zorro DeLauro through college. You think it's funny now. You think it's funny that we're about to be empty nesters. Anyway, Dodger Jano is taking all of this Harder than me because, frankly, she's more emotional and loving about all these things than I am. So Dodger Jano and I realize that Jake is now a senior, and she immediately says, he's a senior. It's our last chance ever to go to a Badger football game. We have to go. And I said, I get it, DJ, but you do know. That even if Jake no longer attends the school, we can still attend the games, right? But I get it. You know, the last real chance to spend some real quality time with your college-aged child in a very special place. So you have to do it. And we did. So that's why I was off the air Thursday and Friday of last week. Because I took that long weekend in Madison. And it was unbelievable. All of it. All of it. Well, all of it except Saturday at Camp Randall Stadium. That was not unbelievable. In fact, that was below unbelievable. Unbelievable. The plan was to go to Madison and see our son Jake. Not to go to Madison and get the Badger head football coach, Paul Christ, fired. Turns out I did both. Well, I wasn't responsible for Chris getting fired. And as much as I like the man, and I do, good dude, very good dude, I can't argue with the decision. The truth is, I walked out of that stadium, and I knew he was in trouble. 
big trouble. But I really thought that he would survive the weekend, and he didn't. Fact of the matter is, it shows that the administration, the fact that he did not survive that loss or that weekend shows that administration is not playing around. And having saw what I saw, I cannot disagree with the decision because, frankly, I can't believe what I saw Saturday. Like, I was there midfield, first row. So essentially on the field. And the Badgers that I saw were totally unrecognizable to me. Like, don't get it twisted. I knew they weren't what they had been, but in no way was I prepared for that ass-kicking that I saw Illinois lay on the Badgers in Camp Randall. Nice, swift ass-kicking. I mean, sure, getting hammered by Ohio State was painful, but unfortunately at this point, not that surprising. However, what I did not expect to see was Illinois coming in a week later and breaking Wisconsin's face in their own house, and that's exactly what happened. And what I'm about to say is going to hurt me as much as it hurts them, but they already know. Completely outclassed, outplayed, outtuffed, outcoached, and curb-stomped in their own house. The very thing the Badgers had done to so many others so many times before, and now it's happening to them. And with alarming regularity. Because not only did Illinois, Illinois, and former head coach Brett Bielema knock them the hell out Saturday, Washington State had shocked them weeks earlier at Camp Randall. Something else that should never happen. And for a proud Badger program that's been built on physicality and toughness, I never expected to see them get bullied the way they were Saturday at Camp Randall. And good is not good enough at Wisconsin. Hell, as much as it pains me to say it now, right now, they're not even good. They're 9-8 and eight in conference play since the start of the 2020 season. So they've become just another Big Ten team, at least right now. Something else I thought that I would never say. And that curb stomping by the Illini really was rock bottom for Paul Christ, which is too bad because that's a really good dude. That's a good dude who did a really nice job in his first five years there as head coach. A guy who played there, a guy who's a Madison native, an easy guy to pull for. And I would love to say if anybody deserved more time to fix what was obviously broken, it's this guy. But they obviously felt like he was not capable of fixing it or he would have done so already. And firing him right now only prolonged the inevitable. At least that's got to be their thinking, right? Inevitable. And I'm pretty sure they want to make sure that interim head coach Jim Leonard gets the best opportunity possible to earn that job full-time. In other words, in my opinion, it's still a good job. It's still a very good job. And they still could chase some very good candidates But it says here they've already got their next head coach on their staff in Leonard, and he's going to get every opportunity to prove it. As for Christ, this was his year to turn things around, and instead of improving, it only got worse. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've spent a lot of time on campus or sit here and say I've spent a lot of time around that program, but I will sit here and say this. I don't think I need to. Just sitting in Camp Randall for a few hours on Saturday, I could feel the energy, the vibe, and the mojo were all wrong. It felt nothing like the last time I was there. And then when they came out of halftime and the real ass-kicking commenced, it just sucked the energy and the life right out of that stadium. 
Then it was just a matter of time and just a matter of the students finding some time and some way to just last until jump around before they could then bounce and take the party elsewhere, which is exactly what happened. So, all in all, we had a tremendous weekend in Madison like we always do. And while I had already managed my expectations for the football team, the last thing that I expected was a funeral. And that's exactly what we got. And again, I feel badly for Paul Christ. Like, good dude, good coach, a badger through and through. And by the way, a guy who treated me and my family really, really well when I came through. But I can't argue against the move because business right now is not booming and that program needs a jolt of adrenaline. Because what I saw Saturday was not Badger football. It was demoralizing. It was embarrassing. And clearly, they had seen enough. So the next man up is Badger legend Jim Leonard. And while I don't think he can fix in a week what's been happening now for the last couple of years, I do expect to see them play with a lot more energy and a greater sense of urgency against Northwestern than I saw Saturday. Because frankly... I don't think they could have played with any less that day. And time will tell. But my personal feeling is I think Jim Leonard's going to get that job. He's the guy. Extremely well thought of. A Badger legend. A former All-American. Bright young coach. He's got presence. I've walked through that facility. I've walked through his offices. I've talked with him up there. I think he's the guy. And I think that's part of the reason why they move right now. And make the move they do right now to give him every possible shot to get that gig full-time. Was there anybody else in that stadium that day that wants to share what they saw, what they thought, what they felt? I thought that he'd make it through the weekend, but I can't argue with what happened. Different vibe, and not a good one. The next 60 seconds is dedicated to every small business owner whose company was disrupted or shut down during the pandemic. You may have overpaid on your payroll taxes. If you have five to 500 employees and you paid wages and health care costs during COVID, you may be eligible to receive an employee tax credit of up to $26,000 per an employee. Even if your CPA told you you do not qualify or you already received a PPP loan in the past, Omega Accounting Solutions has helped thousands of small businesses recover more than $400 million in ERC cash. In fact, many CPAs and payroll companies turn to Omega for ERC tax guidance. Just goes to show how trusted, knowledgeable, and well-regarded they are. And with over 50 years of experience in financial management, business leadership, and corporate strategy combined, you can count on Omega every step of the way. To learn more about the employee tax credit or to schedule a quick and easy free 10-minute ERC consultation, call 1-800-704-2000 or visit omegataxcredits.com today. Tom Pellicero is my guest. Tom, good to have you back. How are you? Thanks for having me, Jim, and sorry that I dipped out last hour. I had two different people calling me at the same time about Javante Williams tearing his ACL. This is kind of, unfortunately, how these Mondays go. No, I understand that. I understand that completely. In fact, really bad, bad news, obviously, for him and for the team. You had that tweet up. Running back Javante Williams suffered the torn ACL. Per source, his season is over. Seems self-evident, but how devastating is that for that team? 
That's a massive deal. Javante was supposed to be one of the, the cornerstones, and obviously nobody on offense has produced the way they want to so far in Denver. But then on top of that, you re-signed the veteran Melvin Gordon to be in a timeshare and really be the number two back behind Javante this season. Well, Melvin has had fumbling issues throughout his career, and it's been really bad for them this season. So now all of a sudden, as you're trying to get the passing game going and get Russell Wilson in rhythm, you're trying to decide, do we trust Melvin Gordon to carry the ball? Do we have to use more of Mike Boone? It's one more thing that Nathaniel Hackett's got to deal with. Talking to Tom Pelissero. And Tom, what a wild, wild weekend it was. They all are, but especially this past weekend. Let me ask you about Sunday night's game. No shame in losing to Kansas City, especially as well as they played. But if you're the Bucks and you had the best scoring defense coming in and Kansas City hangs 41 on you last night and they could not, Tampa Bay could not run the ball at all, what is your assessment of Tom Brady and the Bucks after four games? My first thought was for all the people worried about whether the Chiefs were still going to be able to score points without Tyreek Hill, I think you got your answer on national TV last night. Patrick Mahomes looks like himself. They're going to be dangerous every single week out. And in terms of the Bucks, it's just hard to get over the way that Brady and that Bucks offense looks. I mean, I don't want to say he looks old because somebody will find this interview when he's still winning the Super Bowl five years from now at age 50. <laughs> it's going to be replayed. But they just don't look like they've got any juice to them. And obviously the receivers have been in and out. Julio Jones got nicked up again. Chris Godwin got banged up again late in that game. Russell Gage has been hurt. Um, it's just not the same Bucks offense. Remember, they don't have their center, Ryan Jensen. He's really the tone setter, the guy who's going to, you know, get in people's faces and be physical and really um, everybody sort of feeds off of that. They don't have that guy right now. They obviously don't have Gronk. There's just something missing offensively. And then when your defense – uh, gets roasted the way that they did last night. Uh, you know, it really puts a magnifying glass on the struggles that they're having offensively right now. Tom Pelissero is joining us. Tom, regarding Tua and the big story that went down last week, you know, you see him go down Thursday night in Cincinnati after he was on the field last Sunday against the Bills. There are so many different layers to this story. Why don't you bring us up to date about where the league and the NFL PA are in terms of the revisions to the concussion protocols, and then how quickly do you expect these things to take place? So with the, the concussion protocol, my understanding is they've basically agreed to parameters, and it's really about addressing the loophole, so to speak, in the gross motor instability clause, where uh, the doctors involved with checking to a for a concussion determined it was his back and not his brain that caused him to stumble. We've seen J.C. Treader, who's the union president, come out publicly and say that it was a violation that should never happen. He should not have been on the field, but technically under the policy doctors and specifically the team physician has sole authority to make that decision and say Tua is good to play. Now, I think that there are a lot of people who assume at this point that Tua had a concussion on Sunday. Everyone I have talked to in terms of people with the Dolphins, people with the league, uh, people close to Tua, everyone says that they believe the protocols were in fact followed here and that Tua did not have a concussion. But obviously, we all know what we saw on TV. It didn't pass the eye test. I'd be the first one to say when he's stumbling, trying to get off the field, I'm thinking he's got a concussion. We're not going to see him again in this game. And then you go fast forward four days, and he suffers one of the most horrific-looking concussions that I can remember in 20 years covering the NFL. It just It's a bad look for everyone. Part of what, though, they have to work through here, besides finalizing the precise language on this, is they're also working through the unintended consequences. There have been many occasions, and I think back to one – time with Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game where he took a hit to the head. Everyone assumed he had a concussion. 
In fact, he had a knee that was bugging him. His knee buckled. He ended up leaving the field. But that's something that could take place here. So you could potentially have players who are suspected of having a concussion, but in fact have a different injury, who are not allowed back in the game and remove the medical judgment from the medical people. If that keeps one player who actually does have a concussion off the field, and that's a trade-off that the union certainly sounds like they're willing to make, but that is something that we're going to have to get used to here, which is the idea if a player shows signs of a concussion, even if the doctors who examine him do not believe that is his injury, under these new protocols, which could take place or take effect as soon as week five here, that player is likely going to be off the field. Well said. Tom Palacero is joining us. So, Tom, what about the Patriots? They had to go to Brian Hoyer after losing to the Packers yesterday because of Mac Jones's high ankle sprain. But then Hoyer goes down with a head injury. So rookie Bailey Zappi is forced to take over. What does the Patriots quarterback situation look like moving forward with reports that Jones may, in fact, need surgery himself? Well, with, with Mac Jones, first of all, it's a severe high ankle sprain, and there are plenty of players who would immediately undergo that tightrope surgery. Uh, with Mac, he's never really, as he put it, you know, suffered an injury since he fell off the monkey bars and broke his arm. So this is not a guy who's used to, you know, dealing with those options and what the rehab process is going to be like. We'll see at what point he can get back onto the field because his hope certainly is still uh, to avoid that surgery. But you're right, Brian Hoyer, it's the concussion yesterday, and all of a sudden you've got a fourth-round pick from Western Kentucky and Bailey Zappi out there. And by the way, looked pretty good. He did. Lambeau Field, your first NFL performance. There are so many uh, coaches and scouts who I talked to prior to the draft last year who loved Bailey Zappi. As one quarterback coach put it to me, if you were playing flag football, he'd probably be the number one pick. But he's just not a big guy, doesn't pass the eye test. Not a huge arm, but he's really smart. He knows where to go with the football. It, it fits the mold, at least mentally, what Bill Belichick has looked for here. So if Hoyer's not ready to go, I, I would fully anticipate it's going to be Bailey Zappi in his first NFL start this week. Tom Pellicero joining us. I'm not saying that I'd make the same argument for Cooper Rush, but Cooper Rush strikes me as a guy who's making the right throw at the right time and making the right decision when he has to do so and is doing everything he has to do to get them wins, and that's exactly what he's doing. And then you have Dak Prescott, Tom, who gets stitches removed from his thumb. So, and then you listen to Jarrah. You know, Jarrah will talk about how there's a controversy, and then Jarrah will say there's no rush to get Dak back. I mean, kind of go through this and and discern what's going on exactly here. How close is Dak to coming back? Well, Jarrah believes that all news is good news, which is why he's on the radio and talking to reporters every single day, unlike every other owner in the NFL. Realistically, Jim, my understanding is it's highly unlikely Dak plays this week. They'll kind of ease him in, try him out in some individual drills. Maybe he runs some scout team, but I would be shocked if he's playing this week against the Rams. Now, this has always been Dak's goal was to play this week. What I've heard from the beginning was next week's game against the Eagles in Philadelphia. That was always the one they thought more realistically they could target because at that point you were four weeks out from the surgery. The bonus had time to heal. The swelling can go down. That's where you think you can integrate him. Remember, they didn't put him on injured reserve, which allows him to do some things in practice like he has since last week. So they'll continue to ramp him up. The Eagles game is probably a realistic goal. And for now, it is Cooper Rush, who is, uh, I believe, 3-0 and now as the Cowboys' starting quarterback, going out back to that Halloween game he played last year and played really well in Minnesota when the Vikings 
we're in a must-win game. I know that Mike McCarthy gets kicked around by a lot of people, and everybody said after week one, the season's over, and you got to blow it up, and how long does McCarthy have? Mike McCarthy right now, he should be a coach of the year candidate with the fact that they're winning with a guy who was out of football in 2020. He got waived by the Giants. Didn't have a job for a month. He only went back to the Cowboys because Dak suffered that ankle injury in the fall of 2020. It would be possible if Dak never gets hurt. The Cooper Rush is, you know, I don't know what his degree is in, but working for a business somewhere, throwing in the CFL, I don't know, but he's probably not in the NFL. They're winning with that guy. And, of course, winning with the defense, too. This is a Cowboys team, and when they get Dak back, Jim, is going to be dangerous, and they're going to be heard from again at the end of the season. Tom, the only thing more amazing than you saying that Mike McCarthy should be considered a Coach of the Year candidate is I've got nothing snarky to say about that. I was one of those guys who did say after week one, the year is over, they're going to blow that thing up. But I agree with you. I mean, look at him. Listen, you've got, Tom, the Rams and 49ers tonight. Jimmy G is coming off a really rough outing in Denver. There have been reports of friction now between he and head coach Kyle Shanahan. What can you tell us about where their relationship stands right now? Jim, I think you have to go back to everything that played out through the course of this offseason where Jimmy knew from the time Trey Lance was drafted in April of 2021 that that was going to be his final season. And, of course, he had his goodbye moment in his press conference after they lost uh, in the playoff game. And then it was obvious to everyone involved and everyone was on the same page that he's going to be traded. But then he surprised the 49ers when he opted to get his throwing shoulder repaired. They still were hoping they were going to be able to trade him, but there was just no market there. And Jimmy, I think it's been well documented, is not necessarily the most communicative guy in general, uh, in the off season, he kind of goes and, and does his own thing. They were in communication, though, about his rehab, and he was back. When I was out there in Santa Clara in camp, like second week of August, it's a strange scene because Jimmy's out there, no logos on his clothes. He comes out, does his throwing on the side, and then goes inside. Jimmy hasn't played football, Jim. He hasn't practiced. He didn't do anything in camp, no preseason coming off of shoulder surgery. That's part of why nobody would trade for him. And I had GMs tell me this, that when you acquire a guy – who hasn't thrown in that long, you can't just suddenly go, you're going to throw 80 throws in practice. You're going to throw 50 throws in a game. It takes time. The 49ers, out of necessity here, obviously Jimmy practiced that first week on the scout team, but out of necessity now, they have to ramp him up. I know that you know all the amateur lip readers are trying to figure out what he was saying after that play. Uh, I think it was an interception uh, in the game last week. Him and Kyle, from everything I've heard, are fine. It's, you know, it would be like if, if I was told by my boss, hey, we're not renewing your contract and then because we're going to hire this guy and then that person doesn't come and they go, actually, you are back. I would feel the type of way about it, too. Jimmy's a human being, but in terms of how he's playing, how that offense looks, this is going to be a, a process here. And I think if there's one thing we know about Kyle Shanahan, it's that he knows how to get people open. And I fully anticipate he's going to be doing that. Jimmy's just got to get the ball there. Tom, wouldn't that be funny? Like, if they did you like that and then they got you walking off the set and all the amateur lip readers caught you saying, all your decisions suck, boss, or something like that? I'd be saying a lot worse than that, Jim. You wouldn't be able to put it on TV what I'd be saying in that moment. That is the best. He is an NFL Network insider. He is the host on SiriusXM NFL Radio, breaking news, doing his thing, and working us in this morning. Tom, really appreciate it. Better late than never. In fact, that was great. That was well worth the wait. Appreciate you very much. Thanks, Tom. Let's do it again soon, Jim. So what is the fastest ball sport in the world? Not baseball, not tennis. In fact, it is the sport of Hylai, spelled J-A-I-A-L-A-I, originating in the Basque region of Spain. 
and played professionally in the U.S., most notably in the 1980s. Hyla is making an unprecedented comeback. The ball reaches speeds of 150 miles per hour. The action is intense. The danger factor is high. Six-person teams of professional athletes play the sport at the Magic City Fronten in Miami, Florida. I invite you to check out all the action Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m. and Friday night at 7 p.m. Go to HighLightWorld.com or download the free Highlight app in the App Store. The sport, with its intensity and athleticism, is well worth watching. Check out all the action at HighlightWorld.com. Matches are played similar to tennis, with a player or team required to win two sets to win a match. Each set is played up to six points. It is a sport you need to check out. HighlightWorld.com, Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m., Friday at 7 p.m. So I mentioned that straight up there were some incredible viral moments over the weekend from the sporting world. Like, laugh out loud, funny type bleep. A few plays that I just kept watching over and over and over again. Laughing every single time I hit refresh. I mean, rare is the play that you can watch 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, and it only gets better and funnier every time you see it. I mean, I felt like I spent hours on my phone and on my laptop watching the same stuff over and over and over again. Hell, yesterday alone... From DK Metcalf having to get carted off the field to go to the bathroom. To Garrett Bowles, A-plus effort for that big man hustle in trying to chase down Raiders corner Amik Robertson on his fumble return for a touchdown were both a couple of amazing moments that I hit refresh on a number of times. I mean, Garrett, A for effort. But that hang time, my man. That's what had me dying. Hell yes, big fella. Check that out if you haven't seen that already. That hang time was amazing. However, as good as that was, as good as he was, that was not the most clickable or viral moment of the weekend. In fact, not even close. Because a day earlier, while I was stuck in Wisconsin, watching Illinois drop that nice, swift ass-kicking on our Badgers, something amazing was taking place several hundred miles away in Columbus. No joke. Not since Buddy needed his night out has Seatown created such an amazing piece of video. And no, nobody was getting their perv on on the dance floor. However, Rutgers wideout slash return man Aaron Cruikshank was lucky he did not get slapped with the silver bracelets before making it off the field because my man damn near murdered a punter in broad daylight. In case you missed this, and in the event that you did, I'm sorry, because this is one of those moments that you'll remember exactly where you were when it happened, or when you heard about it, or when you saw it. Let me set the scene in case you missed it. Third-ranked Ohio State, putting it. Putting it on Rutgers, 49-10 in the fourth quarter, about nine and a half minutes to go in the game. Buckeyes have the ball. Again, up 39, fourth and two in punt formation. But just because they were in punt formation and up 39 points does not mean punter Jesse Murko had the same thought as everybody else watching. I'm not exactly sure what he was thinking, I'm guessing he was thinking, damn, if they're coming after me 
and I've got some daylight, and I only need two yards, screw it. I'm going to tuck it, and I'm going to run. I'm sure at some point in this punter's life, hell, in every punter's life, they're told that if you see it and you think you can get it, just go. Just do it. I would imagine, however, the caveat's always, unless you're up 39, then just kick it. I'm assuming that's what he was thinking. But then again, I don't know for sure. But I do know exactly what the return man, Crookshank, was thinking. He saw the punter, quote, fake it, up 39, and I know exactly what he was thinking. He was thinking, oh, hell no. Not on my bleeping watch. We're having one of the worst days ever, and you're going to tuck it, and you're going to run up 39. The hell you are, punter. And my man, the return man, channeled his inner Sean Taylor, and he went in like a heat-sinking missile and absolutely blew this cat up right there on the Ohio State sideline long after he had stepped out of bounds. Yes, it was late, really late. And yes, it was over the line, really over the line. And yes, that was worthy of an ejection. But yes, that was also one of the most amazing things I have ever seen. Like this dude, in real time, in that split second, just decided, just took it upon himself to deliver some vigilante justice and let everybody know you might be kicking our ass, but we're not having that disrespect. And this was not some badass linebacker who took this amazing angle and knocked out a defenseless punter. This is a return man who goes maybe a buck 70. Yet he looked like Sean Taylor, Ronnie Lott, and my man Bob Sanders all rolled into one. It was that kind of a collision. This dude goes maybe a buck 70. Maybe a buck 70. But he hits like he's 270. Like, I was mesmerized. I literally could not stop watching it. I hit refresh over and over and over again. And I can't lie. Every single time, I laughed. I'm just going to be real and transparent. Maybe I shouldn't have, but it was funny as hell. I laughed at it every single time. I literally could not believe that that's how that went down. Dodger Jano, now she's no longer Madison Jano. She's back to Dodger Jano because we're in the lounge in the Minneapolis airport with a four-hour layover. And I'm watching all the games and I'm doing all my stuff. But Dodger Jano looks over at me and she says finally, oh my gosh, what are you watching? What is the matter with you? What is so funny? I'm like, what is so funny? This. Watch this. Oh, he's going to fake it and keep it and why not? I mean, oh, and then a late hit. They're going to have to tack yardage on the end of this, and Crookshank is the one that hit him. I, I just laughed again. I just watched it again on CBS Sports Network on our TV feed, and I just laughed again. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. It's awesome. Crookshank just shanked the Ohio State punter. Can I repeat that? Crookshank just shanked the Ohio State punter, and he did so when he was clearly out of bounds. And he did so on the Ohio State sideline. And the sound is great, but it does not begin to do it justice. The video is goat bleep. 
I mean, goat stuff. Couldn't stop laughing on my plane ride home. And I just kept watching it over and over and over again. Because you know what that was? That was this generation's Brian Mormon and Sean Taylor. But I'm going to argue even better. And I thought nothing was better than that. There's just so many things about this that make it so incredible. I mean, incredible enough that I can do an entire segment on it. Yes, it was Mirko's decision. Not Ryan Day's. I mean, Day said as much after. And even seeing that play, you, there was no way Ryan Day was going to call a fake punt up 39. We, against somebody he coached with in Greg Schiano. There was no way, obviously, right? Obviously. And Day said as much after. And then if you don't believe him, this is other, another great angle and an underrated angle to this story. If you don't believe the coach, and there's no reason not to believe the coach, there's no way they're running a fake up 39. But if you don't believe him, take it from Buckeye kicker Noah Ruggles, who tweeted this in defense of his guy. And I love the kicker taking up for the punter. He tweeted, quote, Rutgers sent the punt block team all out, overloading one side in the fourth quarter, down 39. We ain't call no fake. Boys saw the open field and put it in turbo. Sorry about it. My boy gonna expose you if you let him at Jesse underscore Mirko 29. That is an awesome tweet in and of itself. Quote, boy saw the open field and put it in turbo. Sorry about it. My boy gonna expose you if you let him. That's an all-time great tweet. From a kicker. And I love the kicker for that tweet. I do. And I love the punter even for, quote, putting it in turbo. But I still love Crookshank so much more. Because Ruggles, he saw your boy's turbo. And he boosted himself right into his ass out of bounds. I love this dude seeing Murko running that fake punt and saying, oh, hell no. And decides to, quote, knock your boy out cold. That dude might have seen an open field, but Crookshank saw red. And he saw rage. And he destroyed this cat. And again, I want to make this point really clear. Imagine this dude's mindset. It's incredible. In that moment, in a split second, he is back deep for a punt return. He sees Mirko bolt. And he had to think, man, we're already having the worst day ever. We're already humiliated as bleep. And now you're going to mess with us, punter? The hell you are. So just as every punter is told at some point, if you think you can get that first down, you go right ahead, take your shot. Somebody must have pulled Crookshank aside and said, if a punter ever disrespects you by trying to run for it for a first down, up 39 the fourth quarter, you bleeping take matters into your own hands. Or better yet, nobody ever had to tell Crookshank that. He just knew. He's that dude. And for that reason, that dude is a bleeping legend. Yeah, I know. I probably should not be glorifying a guy who did something to get himself ejected from the game, but I cannot help it. Because not only was that one of my favorite moments of the weekend, that's like one of my favorite moments ever. Like, I want to meet this guy. And how about the play-by-play dude? <laughs> that was so great, too. The play-by-play dude's like, oh, he's going to keep it. Oh, he's going to keep it, and why not? Why not? Why not? 
play-by-play dude because it damn near got him decapitated. That's why not. Why not? And why not? Why not? It's there. Hey, Buckeye fan, I know you're pissed. (laughs) I know you're pissed. Just as I know that Ryan Day did not call that fake. No way he would. And I know you were not looking to run it up. I get that too. But Crookshank is no villain. In fact, this dude's practically a hero. I mean, that is one of the most amazing plays I've ever seen. So amazing that I would have had zero problem leading with it on an NFL Monday. I'm just here to tell you, nobody outside of Columbus had a problem with that. No joke. Not since Monmouth star... Georgie Pappas's garbage time, steal, dunk, bleep, talk, technical combo in Lawrence. Have I loved a college guy doing something in a blowout as much as I love that? Crookshank very clearly is a big, unwritten rules guy. And Mirko the punter clearly broke those rules, and Crookshank took matters into his own hands. Incredible. Go, go see that if you have not seen that. The collision is violent. In fact, Alvin, I think of it, I don't want to be greedy about this, but I really believe I'd like to see that one more time. Oh, he's going to fake it and keep it, and why not? I mean, oh, and then a late hit. They're going to have to tack yardage on the end of this, and Crookshank is the one that hit him. The return man, mind you. The second he saw that, he just took off. Took off like a heat sinking missile. I don't know. Greg Chiano's point when he ran across the field after it happened was, hey, I had to, one, make sure it didn't get out of hand. Two, because my guy was over there on their sideline, I wanted to make sure I got him out of there. Yeah, either that or congratulate him and tell him how proud I was of him. That was an amazing thing. He probably went over there to pick him up himself. 1-800-636-8686. Douse him in Gatorade. Carry him off the field in a blowout. I see both sides. I, I understand, Buckeye fan, why you're so pissed. I want to be very clear about that. There's no way Ryan Day would ever call a fake punt up 39 to show up Rutgers. He's not doing that. 